Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, Mon here. Just letting you know, this episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon talks about a pretty intense accident and may be triggering to some listeners. Hi there, my name is Monica O'Hanlon and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say. Everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. Never heard of it? That's okay. But I bet someone you know has. This tiny slice of paradise has a weird way of connecting people. Everyone knows someone who's been here. I guarantee it. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Yungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 40,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullumboy a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? Growing up here, I've met so many weird and wonderful people, whether they're from here or just passing through. I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. Sandy Laverty is a long-time local in the region. After moving here in her early teens, she soon grew accustomed to the laid-back lifestyle the Territory had to offer. But a few years ago on a fishing trip they'd done countless times, Sandy and her family's lives would change forever. I thought I'd do this episode a little differently. Last year, the BBC got in touch with Gove FM to interview Sandy. We recorded her story and then sent it off to London. Now, due to their strict time restraints, only a snippet was played. So today, you're going to hear Sandy's story in her own words. I will, of course, be budding in occasionally, but no one knows what she went through on that fateful day more than she does. So without further ado, straight from the horse's mouth, here's how Sandy Laverty survived the unsurvivable. So it was the 17th of June, 2017. We were at the Cato River, which is about 70 kilometres away from our hometown. It was about four o'clock in the morning and it was high tide. We've put our boat into the water. The boat ramp is a high tide boat ramp, so you can only get in and out at high tide. Four o'clock in the morning with two little children. They're not really up for being awake. (laughs) So we get into the river. We're cruising down. It's dark. 
and as we're cruising down you, know, you can hear the birds chirping the, the stars that you could see the Milky Way very beautiful and relaxing it's come sunrise we've pulled up to the mouth of the Cato River it's about a 40 minute cruise down the river and we started to get our um, crab pots ready and baited it was still a little bit dark so my daughter Mia she was had the torch looking around and you could see all the you know red eyes from the crocodiles the distance between the eyes you can see what size they determined are so roughly what we had seen in that sort of short distance was probably I don't know, 10 crocodiles which is more than usual that because we go to the Cato River a lot put our baits in We've gone for a bit of a cruise. We had other family friends there that we've caught up with them to make sure that they've made it into the river okay, what their plan is for the day. The crabs were, yeah, a little bit slow at the beginning, um, but then they started to sort of come on once the tide was starting to come in. So that's when we decided we've been fishing all day and not much luck. So we decided to take our crab pots from one of the rivers that we put them in. So we grabbed our crab pots and we've moved to the mouth of the river of the Cato. We put them out there, but when we've checked them, the crocodiles had taken the bait. So then we've pulled them into the boat. Some still had bait, some didn't. So those ones that didn't, we'd... Um, lay them flat but the ones that had baits would just keep them up in um, like a box so we had about I think we had about eight eight crabs in the last couple of years uh, since the accident you've been talking about it a lot and of course it was this huge life-changing event You've had numerous media outlets contact you for your story. Now, I definitely want to get into that as well, but I'd love to go back a little bit first. I want to delve into what it was like growing up in the region. When did you guys actually move to Nulamboy? Uh At the end of 93. 93. 12. You were 12 when you got here. 13. And what was that like? Were you always into fishing and hunting and camping? Uh, yeah, into like a little bit of fishing, camping with the grandparents down south. Yeah. Um, but no, when I first came, I was city slicker I'm from Brisbane. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You're a Brizzy girl. Yeah. What school did you go to? Shaler Park. I don't know. Yeah. It's like Logan Home. Oh, okay. Yep, yeah. yep. That would have been a huge... Uh, <laughs> Massive. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first time we've ever been on a plane. Wow. Um, my parents sent my brother and I up, our first time ever, <laughs> by ourselves. <laughs> and we came to Gove and my uncle picked us up and he's taken us the horse track down to the surf club, telling us that this is our street. <laughs> We're like... Oh, my God, what have they done to us? <laughs> you know, going from the oh, the cities, the shopping centres yeah. to this tiny little tin shed that was an airport. <laughs> like, oh, are they coming? Are they going to come pick us up? <laughs> we want to go home. This sucks. So did they just send you up for a holiday first? No. You? No? No. Picked us up from our last day of school. Your yeah. folks picked you up? Yep. Yeah. And then put us on the plane and then they drove up. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. 
That's a pretty awkward time to start in a yes. new school too. <laughs> oh, yes. What was that I've like? Gone from, you know, down south, you must wear your school uniform. It's yeah. compulsory. So I've all set it, <laughs> set out <laughs> in the uniform and I've rocked up and I've taken one look around and everyone is in normal clothes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, but that's when I met. The best people in my life was that day. You know, yeah. Still around and yeah. Nice. There's a few people from your age group, or your I don't know your class or whatever, that are still living in town. Yeah. How do you think that came around? Like, what is it about this region that you guys love? Oh, so easy, mm. easy living, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I don't understand why people leave. Yeah. <laughs> the lifestyle's too the easy. Lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's 20 years last year that we wow. finished high school. We've pulled up our crab pots. We had about I don't know, maybe seven stacked up high and we were in a 4.6 renegade. And it was tiller steer. Tiller steer is where you're not steering with the steering wheel. You're actually holding it onto a stick and moving it side to side. We had that loosened so the little girls could have a bit of a drive. Otherwise, it's too heavy for them to be able to steer it. So when we've stacked up the crab pots to move them up to get a little bit closer to where we had to be to get out, we did have like both the girls in the boat. But at one stage, um, my youngest girl, she jumped ship and she went over in her uncle's boat. So that left in our boat was my husband Brendan, myself and my daughter Mia. So my daughter Mia sat on the chair that I normally sit on. We only have two chairs in the boat. My husband sat in his chair, Mia sat in my chair and I sat on top of the cooler box at the front of the boat. When we started to take off, the crab pot started to fall my husband has let go of the tiller steer to grab them to stop them from falling onto my daughter. As he's done that, the tiller steer or the motor has swung straight to the right. Which has turned us into a circle. As we started going, obviously straight to the side of the boat, uh, which we had a rail around our boat. I tried to hold on as long as I could um, knowing what's in the water I don't want to go in the water but the force it, it just I just couldn't hold it any longer and I remember just screaming as I fell into the water but I didn't jump out so because I didn't want to go in the water I've gone down the side of the boat as I've gone in the boat has gone over the top of me and I remember the boat hitting me first which then it just uh, it, it just blew all the air out of me like I it's being hit by a truck I suppose and I remember just thinking just go with it because you can't fight it so I just let myself go and when uh, I sort of opened my eyes after feeling like the, it, the boat's over me and it's gone, I've opened my eyes to see that I was still underwater. 
when I realised that I was still underwater, I tried to sort of move. I couldn't move at all. I knew that I was connected to the boat motor because I was at the back of the boat. I felt that the prop of the motor was in my back. I actually thought it was in my shoulder. I thought the one of the propellers was in my shoulder. I couldn't move like at all. So that's why I thought I must be stuck on the boat motor. It's just lucky that my husband, when I went over, he pulled this, the kill switch straight away. So that stops the motor. It doesn't stop it from turning, but it stops the, the motor from running. In a way, you know, it's like I could see myself, like a, I don't know, a bit weird, but an out-of-body experience where I could see myself in the water and trying to calm myself down because I didn't want to die there. I could see my husband. I could hear my little girl screaming. And as I still try, I, I was on my last bits of breath when... Uh, my husband has finally turned around. I could see him looking for me. He has turned around and has seen me in the water. And I, straight away, I was trying to work out how I can communicate to him as I thought the prop was in my back. So I tried to sign him to pull the boat motor up. So I was just pointing upwards. And he, he didn't see that. He just jumped straight in and she tried to... Um, he dove down trying to see what I was connected to um, and then he's gotten up. He was, when he tried to have a look to see what I was stuck on because he tried to pull my head out of the water, which I was too deep and I kept shaking my head, telling him like, no, I've tried, you know, you need to get me up and that's what I kept sort of pointing, you know, put me up, get the boat motor up. And I could hear him yelling at my daughter to get a knife. And I'm thinking, no, don't get a knife. My back is in this prop. So when he was yelling at my daughter uh, for the knife and she just was hysterical, as you could imagine. And so he's jumped back into the boat and found the knife and bef and he's also then um, put the boat motor up. So finally I get my first gasp of air. He grabbed the knife and before I was <laughs> taking my first breath, before I could even tell him, I think this boat motor is in my back, he'd cut me free. So then <laughs> my mind changed differently. I'm not stuck. Okay, it was just my shirt, you know, but that's when I felt the big pressure on my shoulder. I had no energy left. I just felt like, like I said, hit by another truck. <laughs> hit by one, now I'm hit by two. So then he, my husband's trying, do you think you can get up into the boat? And straight away I said, no, I can't. I seriously cannot. I've got no energy to pull myself out, out of the water into the boat. So in a stage really, I wasn't scared of crocodiles when I was stuck to the motor. 
It was when I was cut off, that when I had to wait in the water while he had to do some arrangements to the boat to get the, sh the shade. Not knowing that I had a blood trail behind me, but just that, you know, if I was to let go of the boats, the tide was rushing, I could have easily just given up. But um, I tried not to splash, as the crocodiles love it when you splash. So when he's had to, my husband, um, we had the shake canopy over the back of the boat. So for me to get out of the water, uh, it would have meant for me to climb over it, which I couldn't do. So then I had to wait in the water while he unscrewed two little screws on each side to push the shade over um, to the front of the boat. So that's when I'm waiting in the water and that's when I knew I want to get out. <laughs> um, I've been in the water for too long now. So when he's, he said to me, it's going to hurt, but I'm going to grab you and pull you up underneath your arms and get you into the boat, which I was okay with. <laughs> I'm happy, get me out. So when he's pulled me up, I remember just my whole body just shaking and just trying to stand there while he said, no, I'm just going to check you out. And he's had a look at me and he said, you're okay, love. You've just got a bit of a cut on your bum, but you're okay. He reacts so great in emergencies and he's the one that everyone looks to for, you know. So how did you and Brendan first meet? Uh, we met at BP. He was my best friend's cousin. Yeah. Uh, we worked together for, I think it was about a year or so, become really good mates. He left town. That's when I realised that I was in love. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> then I had met uh, my two older kids, uh, met their dad here. So we had a, a few years together of bringing up our children Things didn't work out, and then I ended up back with Brenny. Cute. So it was just, it was fate. It was destiny. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Would you say he's a bit of a romantic? Yes, one of my favourite memories, was it 11 years ago, uh, was my husband and my first date, and we've gone out on the boat, and he's taken me out to Port Bradshaw. Oh, amazing. It was uh, no children, just us <laughs> two, and oh, um, heading down to um, Port Bradshaw, and we've seen pilot whales. And then the first time I've ever seen them, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, the water was so crystal blue, and they were like jumping over the bow of the boat. I was like, oh my god, look at this. This is like in our hometown. Um, yeah, and then he's cooked me a meal on the beach, and yeah, it was beautiful so cute. lovely very lovely and cute was so, that yeah. wait not your first date though was it that was our first boat date oh my gosh he really pulled out the big guns yeah, has yep. he kept <laughs> yeah he's been pretty good he's at been that. delivering yeah <laughs> nice what yeah. a date oh, it's like a sensation. God, I'm so when he i've found his seat i've just collapsed into his seat and it was only minutes before that we were actually talking to our family friends. And so they weren't that far ahead of us. So he's motored straight up to them. And my daughter, um, that was still 
in a mess. Not, I think, believing what had just happened. So we've pulled up and I just remember just closing my eyes. I just couldn't even open my eyes. I just had to know how long I've got to go till I receive help. I had to relax, stay calm. Luckily, that's this the boat that we're going up to was one of my really good friends. Um, she was there with her family and her boys that Mia could jump into her arms and she could protect her for as, you know, the, the rest of the boat ride up because she was so scared. When she was only telling me last night, actually, like her story of what had happened. And she said, I remember just laying on the ground of the boat. She said, I was so scared, the waves, because we had a few boats you know, taking off so quickly and awake. And so she was scared of the rocking. So they, they could not believe what had happened. <laughs> it was like, we were only just speaking to you. Yeah, and this has just happened. You know, the boat next was um, Brendan's brother. And my brother-in-law, Pat, with my other daughter, Ava. And my husband has whistled. Which Pat knows if there's a whistle, I need to stop. <laughs> I need to see what's happened. We've raced up to them and I'm just sort of trying to open my eyes just to see Ava. And Brennan's saying, I've just ran over Sandy with the boat. I need you to get a car ready at the boat ramp because I need to take her to the hospital. Straight away, Pat's just got into action. He's had a faster boat than us, so he's taken off. And my husband was sort of trying to make me stay awake, talking to me. He wanted me to speak to him, but I couldn't speak. I told him, I said, I can't speak. I need to try and reserve my energy. Um, I'll just rub your belly. You ask me if I'm okay, I'll rub your belly. So around every bend... He'd tell me where we were, you know, we're at the, um, at the floodplains and I know that it's getting a little bit closer to where we need to be. Every time he sort of said, are you okay, love? I'd rub his belly. But I was in and out, like I could just feel myself sort of sleepy. I was, still, I was in the boat, I was still sitting or laying on his chair and he sat in front of me. Um, so he had like half a bum on a seat. Um, and I was at the back of him just holding onto his belly with my hand rested up on the side of the boat um, to hold my head up. Some of the areas it started getting um, lots of trees that sort of cover the river so you've got to sort of duck and weave when you're going through them. When we've got to the boat ramp I remember him saying we're here. It's okay love we're here. When uh, I've opened my eyes I could see that Pat had already got his boat um, out of the water, off the trailer, and a car was backed up with both of my girls in the car and my friend Joe sitting in the back. So all I had to do was get out of the boat, and we were so lucky that the tide had come up enough where we could actually get out of the water because if it was low tide, it I don't even want to imagine, actually. Um, it's lots of mud, slippery I think I still had lots of adrenaline going through my body um, to realise I just, because I could hardly breathe as it was, um, 
so I just had to like shallow breathe and just <laughs> I always say keep calm. Um. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When I've got to the boat ramp, we've seen the car there. All I had, to, all my job was to do was get out of the boat. But I just looked at my husband and just said, I can't. I can literally cannot get out of this boat. Um, one of our cousins' husband was there, which is, he's really tall, which was great. Um, so he sort of stood next to the boat and he just told me to just drop and he'll catch me. So when I've just tried to fall, he just had me over his shoulder. And he's walked me over to the um, back of the car and put me down. At any point during the accident, did you ever think, this is it? Yeah. Yeah? I did, slightly, which then I changed my thinking and said, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually told my son that the other day, you have a choice in life. Yeah, they can go one way or the other and you need to pick that and so I told him that I chose that I want to be there for my children and it's not going to take me down yeah I'll go out fighting what point was that Uh, that was when I was stuck under the water waiting for my husband to find me and once once you got out of it did you ever think or were you already in survival mode I was already in survival mode yeah yeah I freak out really with having I don't like being in the water for too long, you know, a little bit, eh. but that day it was like I could breathe underwater. It was a spin out. Yeah. Do you think it's part of that, you know, the whole territory tough mentality? Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 You kind of get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Work things out. Um, yeah. Change what you think that you're going to do. It might not happen and you've got to change your ways and. Yeah. Sort of everyone was there, just sort of everyone just looking at me with concerned look, not really knowing what's happened or how is she going to be, everyone knowing how long I've got to go to get to hospital. Once I got in the car, we had an hour and a half drive on a dirt road um, to our hometown. Lots of corrugation. We were actually pretty lucky because the track was pretty okay when it all happened. Normally half the year, it's not the best track. I forgot to mention, when I did get out of the boat, uh, when my husband pulled me out, he actually you know, t- said to me, love, you've got a bit of a cut on your bum, it's okay, but he was taking his shirt off at the time to wrap it tightly around my waist to stop the, um, the cut bleeding. So when we've come up to the camp that we were camped at, we had a few friends that had already got their boats out because they had smaller boats, We've stopped and one of our friends that used to live in Gove, um, he was up for holiday and so when we've pulled up, 
My husband, again in charge, has told him that he needs to go to the the nearest community and call an ambulance because I've just ran my wife over. So we made our way into town. Um, The same thing, you know, my husband wanted me to speak to him. As I told him again, I need to reserve my energy as much as I can. So I just held my friend's hand and just whenever they'd ask me if I was okay, I'd just pump her hand to say I'm okay. He would tell me where we were because I just had my eyes closed the whole time. By the time we got to the ambulance, we were three minutes out of town. So we are now onto Bitumen Road. When the ambulance have gone... We had two ambulances. We had the one that was the um, trip carrier, which was the first one to get there, and then the ambulance was following. So the trip carrier has gone past us. We tried to flash our lights to let them know that it was us in the car. We tried to radio them, and then they have must have seen that it was us, so they've turned around. We've pulled over to the side of the road. They've tried to assess me there which the ambulance now has arrived. They had asked my husband to, now we've got a roadblock. So they blocked the road and the police had stopped everyone from driving past so they could put me in the middle of the road to get onto a stretcher on the ambulance. I think I was sitting in the car for a while. They were trying to get a drip um, into my veins, but because I'd lost so much blood, uh, they were finding it very difficult giving me oxygen at this stage they I finally got the well, they finally got the drip in they asked me to if I could get out of the car myself because I was sitting up it was a lot easier they gave me the, the green whistle morphine which was difficult to even try and suck on a powdery substance when you could hardly even breathe got out of the car which they said you know take your time once I stood down because we're in a four-wheel drive, a little bit higher. They've cut my husband's shirt off my waist and that's just when it gushed out again and that's when they sort of all panicked. They've had to quickly put me onto the stretcher, which this is when I felt the extreme pain then of laying straight. They've put me into the ambulance and that's when I seen a volunteer, which was actually one of my friends. And I could see that she was upset and knowing that she was crying. Um, my husband was relieved to actually see her to sort of pass me off. He'd done his job. He got me from the Cato River, driving the track to near the hospital. I just remember just taking short breaths I don't want to die stay calm everything is going to be okay is what I just sort of kept saying to myself I remember being in the ambulance and driving to the rest of the way to the hospital and that's yeah like I said more extreme pain that um, my chest felt like I was I was stabbed (laughs) is how I felt when we've got to the hospital, there was a team of doctors, nurses waiting for me, which they had you know, an hour and a half to prepare. I felt safe once we got through those doors. They were so great. 
um, which I actually found out later that they'd actually just done a trauma exercise and there was four out of the eight people on that night. I got pain relief straight away, which um, a big dose of ketamine, um, which <laughs> spun me out. At that stage, uh, I had x-rays and they found out that I had a broken collarbone and nine broken ribs in multiple places and um, a punctured left lung. That's why I couldn't really breathe that much. And the gushes that I had on the side of um, my bum. They had to put a tube into the side of my ribs to inflate my lung which I remember that feeling and hearing the sound I remember all that <laughs> then they sewed up I think they sewed up two cuts that I had one was a bit of a major one and then a smaller one up above so then they got me stable enough to be able to get flown to Darwin uh, Royal Hospital uh, via care flight that's when I, they had given me enough drugs to be settled, um, relaxed as much as possible <laughs> and I was just laying on my side and I remember just sort of being in my own little world <laughs> while people just worked on me and then I have seen my husband come in, uh, my son, he was at home at the time so he, he had arrived and my mother-in-law and just looking at their faces, uh, my son had obviously been crying. I didn't cry at all, but just seeing their faces, I knew I'm in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> when I was flown to Down by Care Flight, my husband and I were on the plane. So we left behind our four children and my baby kangaroo that I was looking after <laughs> um, to go to Darwin. When we have arrived at the hospital, one of the care flight members had told my husband, don't freak out, but there is going to be a lot of people when we go through this door. So when they've opened up the door, <laughs> there was like 40 people just staring at me, you know. There was the pain relief team, there was the x-ray team, there was the doctors, there was nurses, the anaesthetic. It was just amazing to see that they were all there waiting for me and that's when I thought I'm in big trouble now if I've got this much audience. So they didn't even have a look at me, they had a phone which they had taken photos of my, of my back. And I remember just sort of looking at everyone's faces as they passed around the phone. Lots of people coming up and saying how brave I was, rubbing my head. I've gone for a CT scan and they found that I had a, a ruptured spleen as well. I was put into ICU for a week. What they had done every time that they put me under was they had to cut some of the skin away from the wound that I had. Uh, it was getting a little bit infected. I had a vac machine on, which they put over the cut, which would just 
um, stimulate the new blood from underneath to try and get me prepared for a skin graft to, uh, to cover the cut that I had. One of the cuts had actually um, come a little bit together so they could just sew that up. I didn't need a skin graft for that side, but the larger one, yeah, I just had to sort of wait. I think I was in a wheelchair in ICU and when I got into the burns unit, I started to get up. I think it must have been like in the second week, at the end of the second week. I could, they were worried about me getting pneumonia. Um, I had to do lots of breathing activities, which I didn't like because it was hard having broken ribs and trying to blow into a bubble. Um, so I decided I need to walk around the ward. So every you know, couple of hours I would make myself get up and just walk around the ward to try and get myself better. For you, what do you think the scariest part of that whole situation was? Oh, the scariest bit. Or even if it's like uh, months later, like what was the scariest thing in that whole episode? I think there was like two points. One was when uh, my husband had cut me off the propeller and I was still in the water and I had to hold on to the boat for me to stay with the boat while he tried to undo the canopy to push it over for me to get out. That I was, yeah, I had enough. <laughs> I wanted to get out. Yeah. The second one was uh, when I was back in Gove and I got my dressing off and I could have a shower for the first time with my dressing off my skin graft. And I remember being in the shower and I could see it I didn't want to touch the area and I just had that <laughs> moment where I just bawled my eyes out. I was yeah. like, well, what I've been through, now my body's changed. And which they had pre-warned me this was going to happen anyway, but it yeah. was just hard. And lucky I had my rock beside me telling me this is what they said. He was so great. He, the OTs over there was telling him what to look out for, you know, this she's going to go through this and rah, rah, rah. Yeah. And so it was good, you know, for him to say, you need to touch it. You know, it's part yeah. of you. You need it to your brain to think that this is you. And so that was a little bit of a hard stage and I had to suck it up and think, <laughs> okay, all right, I'm fine now. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just having that moment, I think. Yeah. And because I didn't really cry about it, this is like my first time back home. My mum was there. My kids were there. And it's like, holy hell, what have I been through? Yeah, reality kind of reality. sets in. Yeah. 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 How do you feel about it now when you look in the mirror? Um, I, it's still, it's a reminder every day. That's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm alive. Keep going. I, I touch it all the time, you know, which that's what they've told me to do. And now I feel it is part of me. Yeah. So. Do you feel like the experience as a whole because it was a near-death experience. Do you feel like you have a new lease on life? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, definitely not bungee jumping or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, just if there's, you know, something going on, we've got to do it, you know. Um, yeah. Holidays and stuff like that. Let's go do it. Stuff. Yeah. Um, 
Do you think you appreciate things more? Like you don't take things for granted as much? Yeah, no. Yeah. No, definitely appreciate it and trying to sort of push that on my kids as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, life's great. Just got to try and work with it, work around it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How are they dealing with stuff now? Because you spoke, I think we've spoken about it last year. You said that, that like it, it was a traumatic experience for them as well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're a lot better, you know, they easily can talk about it now. And yeah. They're sort of always asking questions, you know, or you can see it in their face when someone asks me about it. They're like, oh, here she goes again. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're good. Do you think that speaking about it is like a therapy? Like yeah. do you find you feel better when you speak yeah. about it? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that would be. Oh, I couldn't bottle that in. No. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Has it put you off uh, fishing at all? No way. <laughs> no. It's sort of, you know, if I see someone else doing something that's a little bit dangerous, I will definitely say it out loud, you know, yeah. Oi, <laughs> don't do that. It sucks. <laughs> Just knowing, you know, I know what happens. <laughs> but, no, we are definitely um, oh, over the top safety now, you know. Yeah. Like before we always, but... Yeah, now it's like, oh, no, don't do that. Don't go over there or make sure the knives are put away, you know, so they're always, we know where they are. Yeah. Um, clean boat. <laughs> <laughs> no stacked up crab pots. Yeah, how do you stack them now? Well, <laughs> definitely not how we did it that day. <laughs> um, no, we sort of do pull, pull them down. Not if we're moving. We we are very aware of situation and yeah. not have it where we can't see and just a couple stacked up. Yeah. I guess that's really a positive, isn't it, really, yeah. to be a little bit more safe, a little bit more aware of yeah. the situation. Yeah. Now, when did you start the coffee van? When when did that come about? Well, that started at end of May and that happened We. I was over in Darwin for a checkup, and my husband's called me. We talked about it. I talked about it ages ago. I wanted to be the Mrs. Whippy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, have the kids in the, the car seats. You know, I was with their two little girls. So I was thinking, yeah, I can do this. It'll be easy. And he's like, no way. God, that's ridiculous. Anyway, so like, I think we might have seen like Gideon's was up for sale. Mm-hmm. And that's so that was of, the old coffee yeah, truck? Okay. Yeah. And so my husband started looking more into it. Yeah, so I'm over doing a bit of Christmas shopping, a bit of a checkup, and he's called me and goes, are you serious? Would you do this coffee trailer? I'm like, he goes, well, I need to know because I'm getting ready to <laughs> send away the paperwork. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Why not? You know, I, I've got my own hours. Um, but only because I was working um, casual anyway at GIS mm-hmm. and wouldn't work school holidays because I'd rather be home with my kids and stuff yeah. like that. So, but ah, uh, why not? Give it a crack. Uh, <laughs> what else? Yeah, I can always sell it later if I don't like it or yeah, just have a good go. So that was. This is after the accident. After the accident. In so 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Oh, wow. And so did had you already thought of the name before? No. <laughs> uh, it come to the point where they said, okay, well, we need designs and, you know, have your name, put your phone number on it. It's like, oh, I don't want to put my phone number out there. Um, yeah. But, yeah, thinking of a name, we threw it out to the family after my husband's already said, you know, why don't we call it Propellers? <laughs> God, no way. can't say that. <laughs> and just laughed about it, you know, and then yeah. – um, you put it out to the family and they had some good ones. Actually, uh, one of the cousins come up with uh, the front, the refinery. Oh. So it was funny enough that we've yeah. got the refinery. So. Do you have an insider in the family? That no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even know that was starting at this time. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple of good ones. But when it come down to the crunch, I was talking to Brennan and told him, told him all the names. He's like, yeah. Still like propellers. I said, oh, actually, so do I. I think, oh, who cares, you know. I said, in propellers, they take you to all the good places, boat, plane, you know. Totally. Yeah, let's run with it. <laughs> and then I changed it because I had propellers and I thought, oh, that just sounds like just normal. You know, maybe if I do propellers, um, coffee and cream. So then it's got the ice cream and not like anyone says that, but, you know. Yeah, so I was a little bit awkward when <laughs> sort of putting it out there. And a lot of people like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and some people like, oh, why'd you call it propellers? You know, like, oh, have I got a story for you? <laughs> and also propellers. Do you remember um, the walkabout? Yeah. Used, their restaurant was called Propellers. Oh, it was too. And they do they still have – did they have a giant propeller yes. or something? That's yeah. right. Where the hairdressers ah, was. Yeah, that's – Is. Mm. I totally forgot about that. Oh, that's so – So it was like, oh – all right, we'll run with that. Not that I've been chopped up by a propeller. We'll run with the, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great conversation starter too. I bet you would get that, especially in the beginning. Yes. People would have been like, oh, why propellers? <laughs> yeah. We had a few um, outsiders that would come to town for work and they're like, uh, are you the lady? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that was me. Oh, my God. You know, you look great. <laughs> and then, you know, some of them I'd show a photo of my accident and yeah. just seeing their faces like blows them away. And they're like, <laughs> wow. And you're still standing here. <laughs> like, I am. Do you, do you like get off on it a bit when you yeah. see people? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Check this out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when I, because I didn't give the photo to NT News. Mm-hmm. Um, I've sort of been keeping that to myself. Yeah. Um, and then once we've done the photo shoot and um, I, sh- I said, I'll, I'll show you this photo, but I won't give it to you. Yeah. And um, so I showed it and their faces like, this will sell the story. But I know <laughs> it would, but this is like mine. This is the only thing I've got. You know? Yeah, that's so, so fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. I feel like you showed me that um, after a few beers. Yes. <laughs> I was like totally blown away. It is so incredible though. It reminded me straight away, I thought, Avatar. Yeah. You know those yep. lines? It's incredible how perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a cool scarf. If you're going to have one, it may as well be cool. That's right. And that is a cool exactly. one you've got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sandy, hey, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that story because it's just incredible. And I think you're amazing. You're just another strong woman in this community and you're a, you're a champion. <laughs> thanks for coming uh, in thanks, for a Mom. chat.
You just heard the third episode of North East Arnhem Land with Mon. It was a little bit different to the other ones. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be awesome if you could hit subscribe. Like always, a massive shout out to GovFM. It's where the magic happens. And of course, thank you for hanging out. I'm Monica O'Hanlon. I'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.